0: Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world, with Ani Avadisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello everyone! Hello I'm Arnie Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of yummy cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's if you voted for biden you are responsible for starting world war III. are you congratulating yourselves for facilitating a never-ending killing spree your cluelessness is the reason the cabal gets away with such ruthlessness if we replace congress with a bunch of drug-addled apes They might do a better job and put an end to the jabs and the japes. Silly, tiny willy, let's get red pilly, sad little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. We are not always successful, I will admit to that. I admit to it on every show, but we are honour-bound to give it our best shot, yeah. And on this show, the metaphysical martini show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, why don't I take a sip of today's drinky poo and see if it's a winner or a sinner? Hold on, my darlings. Sipping is happening. Don't go away. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Oh, praise the Lord and Jesus and all the saints. That is not a sinner. That is a winner. You know, folks, I'm not in my usual Northern Oregon location today. I'm currently in Central California visiting my insane Armenian family. Um, Less said about that, the better. But anyway, the weather is much warmer here than in Northern Oregon, and the cocktails tend to be taller and lighter. And this one, which I'm Trying really hard not to guzzle down is perfect for a California summer's day, and more about that toward the end of the show. If you're joining us for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, this show is politically incorrect because we do not wish to erode the intellect. Martini heads, we are sensible folk. We believe in common sense, common courtesy, and common decency. We are awake, but never woke. And you can stick to death poke where the sun don't shine and conforming to the mainstream narrative is not something to which martini heads are inclined. So my darlings, I mean, you know, think what you will and live as you will, free will universe and all that and libertarian idealism in mountains coming at you. But if you believe women can have penises and men can have periods how silly are you and this is not the show for you so move along now darlings nothing to see here and if you're stuck in partisan politics and have not yet realized the war is between good and evil how how silly are you this is not the show for you then you must wake up a little bit people this show is for people who know how the world works People who understand who runs the world and how they run it and why they run it. Martini heads are spirit-centered patriots who understand America's sacred purpose in today's Great Awakening. And we are most definitely MAGA, and MAGA to me means make America gorgeous again. Huzzah for America, I came here to be an American specifically chose this country and the wonderful libertarian ideals upon which it was founded. This is where we fight the war against good and evil, and I am proud to be a part of it. So the theme for today's show is, let's keep Halloween clean. (laughs) And I promise you, a spooktacular presentation. But without the blood, without the gore, and without the guts, because those do not belong in a true All Hallows Eve celebration. Now, I know a thing or two about this sort of thing, you see, darlings, because I am a specialist in paranormal activity. And I know all too well how quickly paranormal becomes a paranoia. Woo! So, before we get into the meat of the show, questions, answers, and comments quack, let's take a look at the history of Halloween and figure out, if we can, how it became a gross misrepresentation of All Hallows' Eve, how it became a commercialized sugar-fueled nightmare of monstrous proportions. As always, I will consult the Encyclopaedia Britannica and see what it has to say on the subject Here we go. My trusty encyclopedia says Halloween, contraction of All Hallows Eve, a holiday observed on October 31st, the evening before All Saints or All Hallows Day. The celebration marks the day before the Western Christian Feast of All Saints and initiates the season of All Hallowtide, which lasts three days and concludes with All Souls Day. And in much of Europe and most of North America, observance of Halloween is largely non-religious. And that indeed is true. So Halloween had its origins in the festival of Sowan, uh, not Samhain as people pronounce it. Uh, I think Samhain is a plumber in Illinois somewhere. So it had its origins in Sowan, among the Celts of ancient Britain and Ireland. Notice I said Ireland with an Irish accent because that's how you say Ireland. So, on the day corresponding to November 1st on contemporary calendars, that was when the new year was believed to begin. And that date was considered the beginning of the winter period. The date on which the herds were returned from the pasture and land tenures were renewed. During the Soan Festival, the souls of those who had died were believed to return to visit their homes. And those who had died during the year were believed to journey to the other world. Ooh. And people set bonfires on hilltops for relighting their hearth fires for the winter, but also to frighten away the evil spirits. And they sometimes wore masks and other disguises to avoid being recognized by the ghosts and the ghouls thought to be present. And it was in those ways that beings such as witches, hobgoblins, fairies, and demons came to be associated with the day. And this period in general was also thought to be favorable for divination on matters such as marriage, health, and death. Probably because everyone thought the veil is thin, we'll get better information that way. Then, of course, the Romans conquered um, the Celts. Uh, Britain and whatever, uh, first century common era, about 43 or 41 AD, something like that. And they added their own festivals. And one of those was called Feralia. And that commemorated the passing of the dead. And of course, there was the Lady Pomona, uh, the goddess of the harvest. And that sort of thing went on in its own way. And uh, let me skip to the seventh century uh, common era. Pope, not so Boniface the fourth, established All Saints Day, originally on May 13. Um, And about a century later, and probably to supplant the pagan holiday with a Christian observance, that was moved to November the 1st. And the evening before All Saints Day became a holy or hallowed eve. So that's why we call it Halloween. So by the end of the Middle Ages the secular and the sacred days had well and truly merged. And then of course we have the Reformation and those pesky little Protestants who don't really have a lot of fun in their lives. So the Reformation essentially put an end to the religious holiday, well among Protestants for sure, Um, although in Britain especially, you know, in Britain especially, Halloween continued to be celebrated as a secular holiday. And along with other festivities, the celebration of Halloween was largely forbidden among the early American colonists because the early American colonists did not like to have fun. But by the 1800s, we're seeing the development of festivals that marked the harvest and those incorporated some of the elements of Halloween. Now, we begin to have large numbers of immigrants, including the Irish, um, coming to the United States beginning, ooh, the mid-19th century, although we had them before, of course, but they took their, Hol- you know, their Halloween, I was going to say Hollywood, because Halloween is a bit like Hollywood these days, they took these Halloween customs with them. And so by the 20th century, as we know, Halloween became one of the principal American holidays particularly of course among the children. It's a secular holiday now and Halloween is associated with a number of different activities. One of them is the practice of pulling usually harmless pranks. People wear masks and costumes for parties and they go trick-or-treating, which we think derived from the British practice Of allowing the poor to beg for food. And the food they would be given would be called soul cakes, S O U L cakes. So, you know, trick or treaters, they would go from house to house, you know, the poor folk, and with the threat that they will pull some horrible, nasty trick if they don't receive a treat. And that treat was something, you know, food, fruit, something, uh, generally something sweet. And Halloween parties did include the games that we know bobbing for apples and i think that one came from the roman celebration of pomona who was a very big apple bobber was pomona and then somehow we have these skeletons and we have these black cats and strange things and the holiday incorporated scary beings like ghosts, ghosts ooh, witches ooh, vampires all of those were sort of merged into the celebration And then the other symbol, of course, is the jack-o'-lantern. It's a hollowed-out pumpkin, but it was originally a turnip. And you carved it into a demonic face and lit it with a candle inside. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Um, Here's a little article I found in 1926. And this is the 1926 version of the Encyclopaedia Britannica. It says, Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, the name given to the 31st of October as the vigil of Hallow Mass, or All Saints Day. Though little else is known about it, um, Halloween and its formerly attendant ceremonies long antedate Christianity. The two chief characteristics of ancient Halloween were the lighting of bonfires and the belief that all of the nights of the year of all of the nights of the year this is the one during which ghosts and witches are most likely to wander abroad um, now on or about the first of november the druids held their great autumn festival and lighted fires in honor of the sun god giving thanks of course for the harvest Furthermore, it was a druidic belief that on the eve of this festival of so the Lord of Death (laughs) called together all the wicked souls that within the past 12 months had been condemned to inhabit the bodies of animals. What a weird notion. Thus, it is clear, we say, that the main celebration of Halloween was purely druidical. And uh, I think we prove this further by the fact that in parts of Ireland on the 31st of October, uh, it's still known as Oy Kishamna, Oíche which translates to the Vigil of Samhain. So on these Druidic ceremonies, um, you know, they merged with the Roman festivals of Pomona. You know, everything just merges together. You get the nuts and the apples, which really represents the winter store of fruits, always playing a very important part um you know it's just it's difficult to really figure out where it all started but it's morphed over the years and the, the custom by the way of lighting these halloween fires it survived until recent years in the highlands of scotland and wales you know in the dying embers the shamans would uh, place many many small stones Like if you have about 20 people around this fire, then each person would choose a stone and put the stone in the dying embers. And the next morning a search was made. And if any of the pebbles were displaced, it was regarded as certain that that person represented would die within the 12 months. Don't know about you, my darlings, but I for one would probably give that ceremony a miss. Um, Like many other festivals, Halloween has been revised and reworked over the centuries. The harvest was in, of course, the beginning of winter was upon the land. In Druidic law, the veil between the worlds was thin at this time, and that was both good and bad. It was good because portals would be opened for all lost souls to return to heaven and also allow any heavenly spirits to return to their earthly homes for the day should they wish to do so and i do so hate to be the one to shatter illusions but once you're in heaven my darlings i'm gonna have a little sip of this excellent drink here hold on mm. oh yum that is lovely so once you're in heaven nobody wants to come back you know coming back to earth is not something you think about until it's time for your next incarnation And that involves a new bloodline, a new location, and new adventures. But I will say, I do know that too many open portals can make the veil between worlds unstable. And there is always the possibility of cracks in the space-time continuum. And that accounts for the concern our ancestors had regarding ghouls and goblins, etc., you know, showing up and causing mischief. Too many portals. It's like having too many tabs open on your computer. You don't know what page you're working on and things keep popping up and telling you you have a virus and then you don't know where the music's coming from. It's, you know, it's that sort of thing. Now, I understand why masks were worn by our ancestors to confuse the ghouls and the goblins, which, IRL, it won't work, you know, because ghouls and goblins relate to us. They're not actually ghouls and goblins, but otherworldly beings do not relate to us in that way. They relate to us in a very non-visual way. You can't hide by putting on a mask. You know, they recognize our frequency, not our faces. But then again, our ancestors... The common folk anyway, would not have known that. What else is it that we can take away from this that isn't commercial and just a whole bunch of rubbish? I think honoring family members that have passed on, assuming they are worth honoring, is something I can get behind. And that's how I would like to honor All Hallows' Eve. Instead of encouraging young children to fry their brains by consuming ridiculous amounts of sugar, why not have a family dinner? Unpack, have a block dinner if you want. Have a tribal dinner. Unpack the events of the year. Discuss the highs, discuss the lows. Honor one another for overcoming difficulties. Honor those who passed and wish them well in their heavenly afterlife. And all this can be done without emphasis on the darker side of things, the ghouls, the goblins, the monsters, and the gross misrepresentation of witches and witchcraft, something I will always speak out against. The medieval deep state, mmm, bad people. Now, who has more fun than Americans on Halloween? I'm gonna say it's our Latin friends. Our Latin friends are wonderful at this. They have something called the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead in Spanish, Dia de los Muertos. It's a big holiday in Mexico, and it is observed to a lesser extent in other areas of Latin America and, of course, in the Hispanic populations of the United States, honoring dead loved ones and making peace with the eventuality of death by Treating it as something familiar, something normal, something as part of the cycle of life and death without fear and without dread. And the holiday is derived from the rituals of the pre-Hispanic peoples of Mexico. You know, led by the goddess whose name I always get mixed up, but it's Mictacasuat. Mictacasuat. She was known as the Lady of the Dead. And this celebration back in the day lasted a month. Now, of course, what happened to that? The Spanish arrived in Mexico and said, we love you all so much. We have brought the cross. Oh, you don't want the cross? Well, we're going to stick the sword in you then, aren't we? So they became converting, you know, they went busy converting all the native people to Roman Catholicism. And so the holiday was moved to coincide with All Saints Day and All Saints Day and All Souls Day, you know, November 1, November 2, respectively. So modern observances, yes, they vary from region to region. In the rural areas, it's the best. It's absolutely best, best, because families adorn grave sites with candles and, and flowers and the favorite food of the deceased relatives in an attempt to persuade them to come home for a family reunion. In the urban areas, people take to the streets and, they, you know, they indulge in too much food and alcohol, and uh, some of them wear these wooden skull masks known as calacas. But families build altars. Uh, they're called ofrendas um, in their homes. You know, they use the photos, candles, flowers, food, to, you know, to honor the dead in a very good way. Nothing dark about this. The festivities, uh, you know, just a lot of fun, and and quite respectful, if light-hearted. Toys, food, um, bread, candy, they're all created in the shape of the symbols of death, such as skulls and skeletons, yes. However, and this is so important, they aren't meant to be scary, but they're there to celebrate and remember friends and family members who have died and passed into the afterlife respectfully and with joy. So. I do know, because people write to me all the time and tell me how ridiculous I am, I do know that many people think I am being silly when I talk about modern American Halloween celebrations. But here's my point, point. let me have a sip of this drink and I I will make my point better with this drink inside me. Hold on. All right, Ani, what's your point? Get to your point. Children are impressionable. When you scare a child, It's locked into their body's anatomy, and 30, 40, 50 years later, it comes up in therapy. I know this to be true because I am a spiritual counselor, and I counsel people in their 70s who are still hung up about something that happened to them when they were seven. I object to the emphasis on the dark and the ghoulish and to purposefully scaring children, The emphasis should be on teaching children that mortal death is simply a gateway to another realm of existence. People, we are wasting an important teaching moment here to teach our progeny about the continuum, interdimensional life, the grand adventure of God's eternal life. And it can all be done with a high fun factor and without programming kids to, you know, look... We're teaching them to accept spirit cooking. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, if you research spirit cooking, you will learn a great deal about Luciferian rituals. Spirit cooking is the name of a series of etchings originally um, by that dreadful Luciferian woman, Abramovich. Um, They debuted sometime in the mid-90s and it included ridiculous recipes. Um, Ingredients would be fingertips of the artist and a ruby that had been soaking for three days. And some people say, oh, Arnie, get over yourself, you silly little woman. This is all performance art related. Is it though? Oh, Arnie, rubbish, there's nothing fishy about it. Noting, you know, spirit cooking, it's it's an occult performance. And well, what's wrong with it? After all, I mean, they use menstrual blood, breast milk, urine, and sperm to create a painting. What could possibly go wrong? Surely that couldn't have another agenda. What is, what is wrong with using piss, breast milk, menstrual blood, and semen during an art performance? People, people, pretty much everything is wrong with that. Because if you know about black magic the way that I know about black magic, and I'm not sharing what I know about black magic. It doesn't belong in the fourth dimension. But these rituals are created to exercise control, to curse, to kill, and much worse. And yes, there are things worse than dying. Now, I realize, even in today's world, where the obvious is sticking itself up your nose every five minutes, people are still ignoring it, I realize this may be a bridge too far for some to accept, but this is the very bridge the cabal wants us to see and to walk over into the land of the damned. In the land of the damned, people are encouraged to give their will over to the Dark Lord. They are encouraged to embrace promiscuity and engage in truly disgusting sexual acts, acts which include terrorizing people, some of whom are toddlers, penetrating them and eating their flesh. This does happen the upper echelons of the cabal worship Lucifer and show their allegiance to him by performing these insane, depraved rituals. So when I see folks making bloody brain jello molds or finger sandwiches that resemble chopped fingers or eyeballs floating in a blood red punch bowl, you see, darlings, I have a very different perspective on these things. It is a form of conditioning. Drinking human blood is okay, is what the conditioning is telling you. It's not okay. Eating human flesh is okay, is what the conditioning is telling you. It's not okay. Which, um, is it called transubstantiation? (laughs) I think it is. You might want to take a look at some of that Catholic mass and rethink that. The conditioning is telling you, um, dismembered body parts are fun and darlings nothing could be further from the truth to a sane person think about this conditioning right now parents are up in arms parents who have sanity are up in arms because their children as young as four in certain school districts are being taught how to masturbate I have seen a few of those books they show explicit sexual positions No one needs to know about sex or sexual positions unless they were raised on a farm or they are somewhere in their late teens. You see, these rituals, even though they seem innocent, you know, bloody jello and stuff like that, it's carnality. And carnality is a very dangerous road to walk down Parents, the the sane parents, are up in arms again in certain school districts um, because they're telling their young students, they're encouraging their young students to question their gender. And we choose our gender as part of our soul contract before we incarnate. We don't really make mistakes like that. These choices are taken seriously pre-incarnation. You know, three or four years ago, no one imagined we would be having such insane conversations and yet here we are because none of you paid attention to the programming that you thought was just innocent fun. And now they're telling boys they can have periods. Boys, trust me, darlings, you don't want periods. And then they're telling girls they can grow penises. Girls, you don't want penises. It interferes with the line of your fashion. You can't have a penis and wear a dress. It's silly. What would happen if you get excited? You'd have a little lump in your dress, wouldn't you? How stupid is that? As Voltaire once said, if you can convince people to believe absurdities, you can convince them to commit atrocities. And so on the other side of this, I have people writing to me and going, well, Arnie, androgyny is the highest form of evolution. Is it, darlings? Why would you say that? Androgyny? Yes, okay. I'll tell you something. There will come a time when a world will refine itself to such an extent that it has balanced out all of the polarity, and then that world basically isn't physical anymore, and it goes back into a non-mortal dimension and existence. You can't really have androgyny on a physical plane that has any semblance of polarity so yes i could say at the end we'll work it all out and we'll all be androgynous and then we'll all be spirits and then you know blah blah we are so far from that on this physical realm you have to understand what they're trying to teach you i am starting a campaign to keep halloween clean i want to end or rework this sugar-fueled trick-or-treat obsession practice thing and i you know. The Celts believed that as we moved from one year to the next, the dead and the living would overlap and demons would roam the Earth. Yes, OK, so dressing up as a demon was a defense mechanism. If you accounted a real demon roaming the Earth, uh, you know, they would think you're one of the We're not Celts anymore of the early ages. We're not in the Middle Ages anymore. Those days are gone where the poor people would be allowed to knock on good people's doors and go, a soul, a soul, a soul cake, please, good missus, a soul cake, an apple, a pear, a plum or a cherry, any good thing to make us all merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him who made us soul. You know, those days have gone. We, you know, can you imagine if we did that today? With, we've got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of homeless population. What would happen if all of them took up this Halloween tradition of going, we're very poor and we're going to go to all the people's houses, uh, the people who are relatively well off, better off than we are, and we are going to say, if you don't give us food, then we are going to do some horrible trick to you unto thee. You know, that, in, in today's world, by the way, that is not called charity In today's world, that's called a home invasion, and that would be dealt with very, very differently. Oh, my darlings. Anyway, let me finish up with this thing, and we we need to get on to crack. Uh, Crack! (laughs) Quack! Questions, answers, and comments. Um, There we are. Trick or treating. I don't quite know where the origin of that term went. I understand, you know, what it is. I don't think any of us can trace it back to when anyone actually called it trick or treat, but there was that, um, was it a Charlie Brown thing? I think it was a Charlie Brown comic, I think it was 1951 or whatever, um, where that term was, uh, you know, stabilized in American culture. And I'm thinking back now a little bit, um, b- before I finish up with this. Um, when was it? Trick or treating, we went to people's homes, then we stopped for a while. Uh, the 1920s, I guess, um, we hmm, we had, uh, during the Great Depression, also in the early 20th century, I do know the Irish and the Scottish communities revived a great deal of the old world traditions of souling and guising and in the United States. Um, but by the 1920s, pranks had become the activity of choice and the young people going from ha- ho- you know home to home were really rather rowdy uh, and then we had the great depression and during the great depression they became even be- began i can't talk today they became even rowdier and we have uh, you know we have uh, people telling us well halloween was very mischievous then and it was vandalism and physical assaults and acts of violence Um, and they even said that gangs of organized villains would go around during Halloween and doing these little threatening mini home invasions. Well, I would say that World War II and the rationing of sugar put an end to that, and then we had um, the baby boom, didn't we? During the baby boom season, the trick-or-treating reclaimed its place among the other Halloween Customs, and then it just sort of took off after that. You know, in between sugar rationing, etc. Once, once there was no more sugar rationing, the companies who made candy decided that this would be a very lucrative ritual, and they launched national advertising campaigns specifically aimed at Halloween. We estimate that today Americans spend an estimate what 3.1 billion on candy on Halloween. Three point. Darlings, that's 3.1 billion that Joe Biden could be giving away to other countries. Yeah, very, very sad, very sad situation. I just remembered it was 1951 and it was Peanut, the Peanut comic strip. That's right. And in 1952, Disney produced a cartoon called Trick or Treat, which featured Donald Duck and his nephews, Huey, Dewey and Louie. I always loved Huey, Dewey and Louie. There was a time when I was younger, I thought about having them tattooed on my bottom. Um, I kid you not, I, I was younger. But, you know, over the years, my bottom has become very large, so I'm glad I didn't. Anyway, uh, again, I just want to start a campaign to clean up the unhinged run commercialization of all holiday celebrations. Because once we knock these Luciferian bastards off their sanctimonious pedestal of impropriety, our world will be a much better place. Now, let's see if I can write a poem about it on the fly. Generally not a problem whenever I have a cocktail in hand. In my hand, I have a cocktail. I will now sip it and inspiration will come to me. Hold on, darlings. Mm. Mm. Damn, that is one fine cocktail. All right. Here we go. Me, 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 me. If we truly wish to honor the dead, we can start by ensuring their progeny are fed. If we wish to close portals to the land of the damned, we should embrace the light, and those doors will be slammed. Loading up youngsters with sugary treats scrambles their brains while they puke in the streets. Is it not better, and better by far, to steer them away from such actions bizarre? We engage in rituals frivolous and shallow. We have forgotten the intention behind the eve of all hallows. We make cheap plastic pumpkins and fill them with poison. We dress up as ghouls and cause too much commotion. All this for naught, for a few moments of pleasure. We have lost the measure of what is our true treasure. Well, darlings, I mean, that's my dollar's worth on Halloween. Um, it, would have, it would have been a dime, but, you know, Biden inflation, so it's a dollar. Do as you please, of course, um, but perhaps once in a while, do step back and think about why you are doing the thing that you are doing. And do, do take a look at, are you feeding the beast don't feed the beast. The beast is eating your food. Let me take a quick moment to thank the people who made the intergalactic distribution of this show possible Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. If you wish to celebrate All Hallows Eve and thus far have nothing useful up your sleeve, they have good ideas at Mystical Wares. Good, honest people with no fanciful airs. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Mysticalwares.com online or on location you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation and let's move on to quack because i rattled on so long about halloween questions answers and comments if you would like to share the musings of your mind with martini heads across the known world send your emails to me arnie at com, or by snail mail to cosmic arnie po box 714 wilsonville oregon 97070 usa And don't forget to let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. So let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out a-shaky-shaky. Our first missive is from Mangamaniac, who asks, Ani, you often proselytise the virtues of fermented vegetables as a cure-all. What do you base this on? Will it cure cancer? Will it mend a broken leg? What a strange question. Then again, it comes from someone who is a manga maniac. So I wouldn't be, I shouldn't be that surprised. I do evangelize the virtues of fermented vegetables, but never as a cure-all. Not sure how you would have got that impression. But, you know, it's on you, manga maniac, uh, not on me. Will fermented vegetables cure cancer? That is too general a question. But I will say that the probiotic content in fermented vegetables could well be a factor in preventing illness. Will it mend a broken leg? Well, manga maniac, why don't you go ahead and break one of your legs, apply fermented cabbage to it, and let me know how it goes, and please send pictures. All right, what else is in the fishbowl? Here's a postcard from Lois in San Diego, California, who says, what is really going on between Israel and Palestine? Lois, here is the short version. The cabal are prepared to destroy the planet and everyone on it to remain in power, even if remaining in power means having nothing but ashes to rule over. And that's it, my darling, in a nutshell. Here's an email from Anahid, a nice old Armenian name, who lives in New Jersey, who asks, oh, boy, here we go again. Right. Why don't you support the Armenians in Nagorno-Gurabakh? Doesn't your heart hurt for the persecution of our people? And then she wrote a whole other bunch of really emotional, just silly stuff, which I shan't embarrass her by rereading. This is typical of the many emails I received from Armenians, um, Armenians who act on their feelings and have no idea how the world works, which, of course, is not all Armenians. Um, The ones who are very emotional and won't process their emotions, they don't like me because I believe in common sense and personal accountability, two things I have worked hard to develop over the years. So let me sip this drink because I'm about to tell you exactly what I think, Anahid. You asked, so now you're going to know. All right. Anahid and all the Anahids out there. I have always acknowledged and never denied my Armenian race ancestry. I have no issue with the Armenian blood that runs through my veins. After all, I chose this bloodline before I incarnated. I honor it as I would honor any chosen bloodline. But what exactly do you think I should be doing with regard to Nagorno-Karabakh? I am not a Garabaki citizen. I'm not even an Armenian citizen. I am an American citizen. My allegiance is to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands. This is where the war between good and evil is fiercest, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. This is where I have chosen to make my stand. This is where I have chosen to live and to die. If you declare yourself a sovereign state, you had better be able to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. If you can't do that, then there's a very high probability you will lose your national sovereignty. And that is exactly what is happening in Garabakh. Now, I'm not going to give anybody a history lesson, but I could sit back and explain the history of the region in great detail and list the multiple errors in judgment, or as I prefer to call it, the corrupt agendas of the various leaders that led Garabakh to this moment in time. But if I do that, would you calm down and listen? I think not. Because I'm currently here in, you know, California visiting my family and I have met socially with a great many Armenians and of course Garabakh is the hot topic. And I haven't heard anything sensible from anyone yet. I hear a great deal of, they are killing us because we are Christians. The Azeri Turks are finishing the job of the young Turk Junta. They are killing us because they fear our might. They are killing us because we are intelligent. Why doesn't the world step up to help us? They ignore us because we have no oil or useful resources. And then, you know, that's followed by a litany of woe because God apparently has forgotten us. Okay, trigger warning to all the inner of the world. These comments belong in the Middle Ages, not in a modern country in 2023 and it smacks of genocide complex not objectivity yes the official religion of armenians is christianity they pride themselves on being the first state in the world to adopt christianity as an official state religion and i'm sure life would have been easier given our historical location if we had converted to islam and i'm glad we didn't Um, But we didn't, you see, and life isn't easy, so let's accept our choices and move on. And yes, I know full well the young Turk, Yunta, did have a pan Turanist agenda. And yes, Armenians who are not part of the Turkic group of people will always be an impediment to the fulfillment of that pan-Turanic ideology. That's old news, darling. And as for they are killing us because they fear our might, where is the might that is to be feared? Garabakh was emptied out almost overnight. You see, Anahid, you're not making any sense. You're being too emotional. You ask me why does my heart not hurt for the persecution of my people? What does that mean exactly? How would it benefit Garabakh if I stayed home? wept moaned tore my clothes gave myself stomach ulcers and blamed the other side for all of my woes of course i'm not happy with the current events i am armenian of course i would prefer to see a proper resolution to the troubles but i'm not an idiot i don't see the value in taking on another's pain and internalizing it that is classic false ego programming Worrying about something you have absolutely no control over is a mismanagement of time and it erodes our ability to think rationally. Anahid, heal your wounds and you will heal your nation. I am the great grandchild of Armenians who escaped the death marches of the 1915 genocide. I am old enough, just old enough to have heard the stories firsthand, and they are horrible stories. So before you cast stones at others, please take a good look in the mirror. How is your pain serving the situation? Is a person in pain a healthy person? Would you ask, would you trust a person writhing in pain to help you in any meaningful way? I look forward to the day when our love of God transcends all this religious and political bullshit. Moving on, do we have time for another question? Ah, who knows? Let's just go for it, and we might make this the last one of the day, or maybe not. Um, This is from Omit Personal Details, who says, Ani? I have two quick questions for you. Question number one. If you were a vintage car, which one would you be? (laughs) Question two. If money was not a consideration, what car would you drive today? What a lovely question. I'm going to enjoy this one. Vintage car. Okay. You are asking me, so somehow you must know me, you must be, because I do love vintage cars, you must know about me, but um, you're asking me which vintage car I would be. You're not asking me which one I would drive. So I'm going to have to think about that for just a minute. Okay, I've got it. All right. While I am aware that I resemble a Chevy Nomad, (laughs) I would like to think of myself. As a 1957 Thunderbird with a supercharged V8. And I'll go ahead and I'll take that in red convertible. Thank you. As for which car would I drive today, money no object? I have two and I want them both. I assume you're asking me this question because you intend to send me these cars for Christmas. So if I had the funds right now, I would go out and I would buy a Porsche McCann GTS in blue with all the bells and whistles, please. And for my second car, I would really like the Hummer H2. But I don't think they make them anymore. But if you are offering, I'm sure I can find a clean used one somewhere in the USA. So the Macan would be my city car. And the Hummer would be my long distance traveling car. You see, I have this dream of taking a whole year off and vlogging, video logging, vlogging my way across the USA. And I want to visit every state in the Union, and I want to share my experiences with everyone via the video before moving on to the territories. So, I mean, absolutely wonderful. Uh, Do send me all of those cars. Um, uh, My address is on my website. Just let me know when to expect delivery. Shall we take one more? Just a quickie. Yes, this is from Joey Nashland who says, well, I guess we're going to have World War Three after all. Will it be utter and complete devastation? Do I have to get out my Mad Max outfit? I already have the leather thong. LOL, Joe, you actually have a leather thong. You should keep that information to yourself. But on the other hand, if you have the complete outfit, not just the thong, send me a photo. I would love to see it. I have no idea how long it will last, but my peeps on the other side say it will be short and not complete and utter devastation, so I'll hold on to that, Joe, and may the odds ever be in our favour. Well, I think that's it for quack for this show. Um, I've got a few more here in the fishbowl, but I don't think I have time. Let me just say thank you to everyone for writing in and sharing your thoughts with martini heads worldwide. We wouldn't have a show without you, so huzzah for you. And please give yourselves a pat on the back and refresh your cocktails in celebration of your service to humanity, such as it is. I am certainly going to take a sip of mine. Mm. Okay. Now, I thought long and hard about this for about 30 seconds, and I think it's time to honor an American poet who wrote very well on many things but wrote particularly well, I think, on things that go bump in the night. And this would be one Mr. Joel Benton, who was born in New York, 1832, and uh, finally pushed up his daisies in, what was it? God, When did you die, Joel? 1911. That's right, 1911. And this poem is titled Halloween. Here we go. Pixie, cobbled, elf and sprite. All are on their rounds tonight, in the wane moon's silver ray, thrives their helter skelter play. Fond of cellar, barn, or stack, true unto the almanac, they present to credulous eyes strange hobgoblinish mysteries. Cabbage stumps, straw wet with dew, apple skins and chestnuts, too. And a mirror for some lass, Show what wonders come to pass. Doors they move, and gates they hide, Mischiefs on that moonbeam ride, And their deeds, and by their spells, Love records its oracies. Don't we all of long ago, By the ruddy fireplace glow, In the kitchen and the hall Those queer, coof like pranks recall? Every shadow's where they went, but tonight they come again. Were we once more but sixteen, precious would be Halloween. I want you all to have fun this Halloween. I just don't want you to frighten your children, and I don't want you to do silly things to them that they're going to seek counsel for years later. When your children tell you, I'm scared of this mummy, don't go, oh, don't be stupid, suck it up and stare at Frankenstein. Explain to them that it's an illusion, that their true nature is a lot stronger than anything that that scares them. Explain to them how to deal with fear. There's the ticker right there. Why are you scared, my son? Why are you scared, my daughter? You are a divine being, a manifestation of cosmic energy, all of the cosmos can be channeled through you. Your smallness, your perceived smallness is part of the allness. Look upon these things, do not be afraid of them for you are the power, you are the light. Before we close up here, I I really want to read a little something um, from Eckhart Tolle. I like that chap quite a lot. Um, And he's talking about death and the eternal. So uh, this is from one of his books uh, called Stillness Speaks. Eckhart Tolle, for those of you who don't know, you really should know, he wrote The Power of Now, which is a very transformative book for most people on the edge, teetering on the edge between what is the true nature, what is religion, what is metaphysics, what is, you know, spirit cosmology. Here we go. Some people become deeply peaceful and almost luminous just before they die as if something is shining through their dissolving form. Sometimes it happens that very ill or old people become almost transparent, so to speak, in the last few weeks, months, or even years of their lives. As they look at you, you may see a light shining through their eyes. There is no psychological suffering left. They have surrendered. And so the person, the mind-made egoic me, has already dissolved. They have died before they died and found the deep inner peace that is the realization of the deathless within themselves. To every accident and disaster, there is potentially a redemptive dimension that we are usually unaware of. The tremendous shock of totally unexpected imminent death can have the effect of forcing your consciousness completely out of identification with form. In the last few moments before physical death, as you die, you then experience yourself as consciousness-free form. Suddenly, there is no more fear, just peace, and a knowing that all is well, and that death is only a form dissolving. Death is then recognized as ultimately an illusion. An illusion. Your form is an illusion. Lovely bit of stuff there from Mr. Eckhart who talks a great deal of sense. I particularly love the way um, he cracks himself up when he talks. He has this little laugh that goes, mm, mm, mm. sounds like that guy from Galaxy Quest. Well, my darlings, are we getting close to the end of the show? I think we have. So let me remind you, please, to visit my website, arnieavadisian.org. it's lovely and pink and my little pretty picture is on there check out my services and see how you can contribute to my well-being and how you can help me pay my rent and my bills there's a lot to offer there the most popular service of course by far um, are those little cosmic conversations that I have at the end of each month this month on October 28th we will be doing uh, impressions of past life regression Next month, November, we'll be doing eugenics, Um, but, you know, nasty, but we have to talk about that. In December, we have our Christmas party, and by December, I will have a whole new set of subjects to share with you uh, in 2024. Wow, people, it's almost 2024. The world is changing in ways that surprised some, not all, but some. But I can only say to you, it's going to be so absolutely wonderful on the other side of this. You know, the bad guys at the moment, they're really struggling. It sounds like they're winning because mainstream media is still talking about it as if they are winning. But they're not, you see, because the White Hats have had a plan in place since the early 60s. And bit by bit, step by step, we're crossing our T's, dotting our I's, doing everything properly. So when we look back in history at this era, we will see, future historians will see, that the light, those who represented the light on this planet, conducted themselves ethically and honorably, put themselves in in harm's way for all the good reasons It's a very beautiful and noble thing, a great many of the White Hats are doing. But you see, that's nobility, isn't it? When you're not thinking about you necessarily, but what you are doing to keep the light shining for future generations. Well, I think finally that is coming up to, it's it for the day. I would like to say I finished my drink, but it's a very long drink, so I haven't. but I made a damn good effort. So, but it is the end of the show. I do hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because if you didn't enjoy it, why were you listening? And you have now wasted an entire hour in your life. Today's real life cocktail was, wait for it, Oni's Halloween Chelada, and here's how you make it. Go out and buy a chilled can of Modelo Chelada Especial, That's your base, and it's essentially beer with tomato juice, salt, and lime. So pour it into a large cocktail mixer or a small jug, something at least twice the capacity of the chilada, and add some ice. Now, add one shot of good tequila, good tequila, a good dash of Frank's Red Hot Cayenne Pepper, and another half cup of plain tomato juice. Stir, taste. Add lime and salt to taste. Then give the whole thing a good old stir and enjoy in a chilled or frozen beer mug or a glass. And sip slowly because on a hot day, it creeps up on you as any good Halloween drink should do. I'm Arnie, mad as the day is long, Avedisian. This was a metaphysical martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, top up your prepping supplies. It is imperative that you do not buy into the lamestream media narrative. Resist new world order, protect our borders, and above all things, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alpadisian The Mad Shaman, a production of cosmicreality.com.